Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, well... Welcome, everyone, once again uh, to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we are in the a study on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we just started last week, and we got into the introduction, and this week we're going to get into the, uh, the, the very first part of it. So the title, as you can see on the screen, is Poor in Spirit. If you got your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be looking at three verses tonight, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, verses 1 through 3. So let's start off with the first two verses. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying... So here's Jesus, and he he goes up on this mountainside, and, and more than likely he did it so that everybody could see him, and I'm sure it, it, it was kind of this amphitheater-type situation where everybody could hear him. And he sits down. And by the way, that was uh, very traditional back then for a preacher or a teacher to actually sit as they taught the word or proclaimed the word. So that was, that was something that uh, rabbis and teachers do. So he goes up, he sits down, and everybody's gathered around. His disciples are there. Probably outside of that is, is the Jews and the Pharisees, and they're all listening in. And he begins. Now, the question is, how's he going to start this sermon? Now, I've prepared a lot of sermons, as, as I, I know Brother Bill has and, and others. And, you know, they always tell you when you start a sermon, you, you, you want to start strong, right? And uh, you want to catch their attention. Now, listen, I don't know um, what type of preparation that Jesus put into this. I can tell you this. I, I don't believe for a moment that he just started winging it. I just can't see that. If, if I, as a, as a human being have to put time and preparation and thought, how much more would the Son of God do that, right? I just can't see him just winging it. I mean, I think he's got purpose. He's got, I can guarantee you, and I'll show you this tonight, he starts a certain way for a reason. And so how does he start? Well, he starts by making these, a series of pronouncements, and he calls certain kind of people blessed. Now, we know these pronouncements as the Beatitudes. Jesus didn't call them that. That's just what we call them. Uh, it, it's been called that for many, many centuries. It comes from the, the Latin word beatus, which is Latin for blessing or, or happiness. So we call these pronouncements that he made uh, the Beatitudes. Now, I want to, just for a few minutes tonight, I want to talk about the Beatitudes kind of as a, as a whole. And then we're going to get to the very first one. If you don't know anything else about the Beatitudes, this is what's important. The Beatitudes denote the character of Christians. In fact, what Jesus does, in, in a little while, he's going to start talking how we should act, how Christians should behave. But before he ever gets to how we are to act, he wants to talk about our character. It's always character before conduct. And so these Beatitudes, these pronouncements, are denoting or describing the attitude of a, of a Christian. Now, I want you to understand, in that day, this would have been very challenging to the Jews that were listening. 
You see, they thought, he, here he is talking about character, about something you should have on the inside in order to get into the kingdom of God. And they're thinking, well, now this makes no sense. We're Jews. We're already in the kingdom, and we're in the kingdom because of external things. For example, they thought they were into the kingdom because they were Jewish. They thought they were in the kingdom because they had the, the Mosaic law, and they, they practiced an external righteousness. So this would have been challenging to them right off the bat. Jesus saying, it's not about your race. It's not about what ethnicity you are. It's not about your education or, or, or any of those outside things. It's about your, your character on the inside. But you see, I think Jesus wanted them, and, and by the way, he wants us to know that those who truly have entered the kingdom of God, it's about what happens on the inside. It's about having an inner righteousness, not just an outer righteousness. Listen, I, the Beatitudes would have challenged them in that day, and the Beatitudes should challenge you and I uh, in the church today. And here's why. We live in an age where, and you know this, I don't have to tell you this, there's a lot of people believe that because when they were 6 or 8 or 12 or 15 that they walked down an aisle and they prayed a prayer and they professed Christ as Lord, they think, even though, by the way, some of them hadn't darkened the, the door of a church since then, or they're out there living life like everybody else, but they still believe because at one time they made some external confession they, they signed a card. They did something. They think that they're going to heaven. But you see, at the very end of this sermon, in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus is going to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going into the kingdom. Not everybody who calls me Lord is going into the kingdom. In fact, if you go and read that later, and we'll cover this in, in the sermon series, um, these people confessed Jesus as Lord. Not only that, they actually practiced some good works. They, they, they had some external righteousness, but they were not saved. Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. You see, their righteousness was only on the outside. They had never been born again. Um, back in the 1950s, there was this criminal by the name of Mickey Cohen. Now, I was born in the 60s, so I don't know who this guy was, but I see a few of y'all that are older than me. And you, if you live back in the 50s, you might remember a guy by the name of Mickey Cohen. He was a very flamboyant uh, gangster, and, and they would write about him in the, in the paper and stuff. And there came a point in his life where he actually expressed an interest in Christianity. In fact, in 1957... Time Magazine wrote an article about a meeting or a conversation that he had with Billy Graham. So I, I don't know all the details, but somehow Billy Graham and he met, and Billy Graham witnessed to him. And, and one of the quotes that was attributed to him was this. He said, I am very high on the Christian way of life. Now, when the churches in that area heard about it, man, they got excited, right? And let me, this is one of my pet peeves. I don't know what it is about the church. And if we somehow think if we can just get these celebrities saved, then the whole world's just going to love us. 
right? If we can get Dustin Bieber or Kanye West or Jordan Peterson, if we could just get one of these guys on board, man, I mean, the, the floodgates, somehow, like Jesus, just can't handle it on by itself, right? So it was back the same back then. This Mickey Cohen, they, they, they heard, oh, he's interested in Christianity. So they started meeting with him. They started inviting him to church and, and he went to some meetings and, and there actually came a time where they were encouraged him to accept Christ, that he actually prayed the sinner's prayer. He actually knelt and prayed to receive Christ and professed Christ. And, and of course, everybody's hopes ran very high. Man, this is going to be awesome if we get this, this, this gangster converted to, to Jesus. But as time passed, people began to notice that there didn't seem to be a change in his life. He still hung out with gangsters. He still participated in criminal activities. So finally, some Christian men confronted him one day. They went to him and said, look, man, you, you, you're, you're supposed to be a Christian now. You can't, you can't keep doing the things that you've always done. You can't, you can't keep committing these criminal acts and hanging out with these, with these gangsters. You've got to, to, to lose those friends and get a real job. And he said, well, I don't want to do that. And this is his quote. This is what he said. He said, well, there are Christian football players and there's Christian cowboys and there's Christian politicians. And we'd have to argue about that one. But then he said, why not a Christian gangster? That was his logic. Why not a Christian gangster? See, the problem is, obviously, it's not a sin to be a football player. It's not a sin to be a cowboy. And I'm pretty sure it's a sin, not a sin to be a politician. But, but, but to be a gangster? Can I be a Christian sinner? Can, I be a, can we do that? I mean, that's absurd, right? We would say that's absurd. Yet, we see that in every church across America today. Oh, I'm a Christian, but I just live with my girlfriend. Oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm a homosexual. Oh, I'm a Christian, I just get drunk and high on the weekends. Oh, I'm a Christian, I just, I lie. I'm a Christian, I... Are you with me? We, we see that stuff all the time in the church. 2 Corinthians 5.17, though, Jesus says, Therefore, if anyone is really, truly in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have the new things have come. You see, when you look at the Bible, there's really two distinct kingdoms. And what, what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's describing the character of the citizens of the kingdom. And he tells us their things are poor in spirit, they're mournful, they're meek, they're hungry for righteousness, they're peaceable, they're, they're merciful, they're pure. And then over on first, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul gives us a, another list of people who will not inherit the kingdom. The sexually immoral, the idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. See, these two don't... You can't say, I'm a Christian drunkard. I'm, I'm a Christian fornicator. I'm a, I'm a Christian uh, cheater or a Christian thief. Are you with me? The, those two, Paul says those people will not inherit the kingdom. Jesus says these people will inherit the kingdom. Now listen, I'm not saying that when somebody gets saved that there isn't a process of, of maturity that has to happen. Everybody 
there's a, whole, we should be growing in holiness every single day. Of course, of course, that is a, uh, there's a process of maturity. But listen to me, if you pray a prayer and you walk out of these doors and there is no change on the inside that leads to your life growing in holiness, then how in the world can you say that you are truly been born again? Or that you are truly a Christian, or that you are truly—that's that is as absurd as what Mickey Cohen said. See, this is what Paul says. Listen to this: Second Corinthians thirteen five. Examine yourself, test yourself to as to see whether you're in the faith. See, Paul tells us all the time: Look, you need to you need to look at yourself. Make sure. I don't know of anything more horrific than Matthew 7, to, to get all the way to the judgment and say, Lord, I taught on Wednesday nights for years. And he says, depart from me. I, I, I We never had a relationship. You was just doing all that, so they'd pat you on the back. You was just doing all that for your own reasons. Can you imagine anything more terrible than that? So Paul says, don't let that happen. Test yourself. Examine yourself. Make sure that you are in the faith. This is one reason the Beatitudes are so important. Because they give us, it's a list of character. It gives us a, a way to discern whether or not we are truly born again. A, a way to discern whether or not we are truly citizens of the kingdom. Four things about the Beatitudes Number one, you cannot, these things that, that, that uh, Jesus is going to ask or, or, or describe, poor in spirit, merciful, um, uh, hungry, for thirsty and, uh, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you cannot conjure these things up in the flesh. You just can't do it. Um, they are the work of the Spirit. You, can, you could come in and say, you know what, I'm going to be more merciful. And for a few days and maybe weeks, you could externally, you could be merciful, but that hasn't changed anything on the inside. And eventually what happens, you'll get tired of it and go back to the way you were. Because that's not who you are. See, what Jesus is talking about is, is things that, that change you on the inside, so it changes who you are, so your outside actions just become natural. You can't conjure these things up. Number two, this is a description in the Beatitudes of every Christian. Don't ever think, as, as some people have taught through the years, that there's levels of Christianity. That there's the, the Christian down here and the Christian up here. And, and if you're like, you know, these Christians, they're more mature. And No, there is a process of holiness, but every Christian should be merciful. Every Christian should be mourning. Every Christian should be poor in spirit. Every Christian should be hungry and thirsty after. This is a description of every single Christian, whether you were born again a day ago or whether you've been born again for 50 years. Number three, a Christian should exhibit all the characteristics. These are not like the gifts of the Spirit, where God gives gifts to some and He gives other gifts. No, every Christian should have all of these. Every Christian should be merciful. Every Christian should, should uh, be hungry and thirsty and mourning and peaceable and, and all of those things. Okay? And then number four, and, and I want to make sure I'm clear about this. No one's going to have any of these things perfectly. There was only one man that walked this earth that exhibited all these characteristics perfectly. And that's not you and I. So we're all going to be at different places, right? But we should all be growing in these uh, characteristics. 
And here's the thing. If we're not displaying these characteristics in our life, and let me say this, or you don't have any desire for these things, to grow in these things, then you're not residing in the kingdom of God. It's just that clear. If, I mean, I'm, I'm not as merciful as I need to be, but I want to be more merciful. Right? I'm, I'm not as hungry and thirsty after righteousness as I need to be, but I'm hungry and thirsty after righteousness. I want to be more hungry and more thirsty. If you don't have any of that, then how in the world can you say that you're in the kingdom of God? So this is a great test for you and I. So tonight, we're going to look at the very first one. The very first one. Matthew 5, 3, it says this. This is Jesus' first pronouncement, the first beatitude. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to go ahead and get this first part out of the way. Every beatitude starts with the word blessed. 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 Now, this word just means happy. That's what the Greek word means. It means happy um, are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are... Are, are the meek. That's just what the word means. You know, it's an, it's an odd thing, and you all are going to know what I'm talking about. People spend their lives. Don't we all want to be happy? I mean, how many of us have said that about our children? I just want my children to be what? Happy. And then we spend our lives chasing happiness, thinking that it's going to come from, uh, 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 from possessions, uh, that's going to come from circumstances, you know. It's going to come from uh, uh, relationships. You know, if I just had that new car, I'd be happy. If I just had a different job, I'd be happy. If I just had a different wa- no, not a different wife. I, I, you know, but we, we, think, we think if I just had this, I would be happy. And by the way, even in the best of times, and everybody here knows what I'm talking about, it's just out of reach. I don't care how perfect things are, it's just out of reach. Even on the best of your days, you're always worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. You can never get to it. You just never seem to find it. But here's Jesus saying, you want to be happy? This is, the, this is God himself. Remember, who is the preacher? It's God. And he's saying, you want to be happy? Here's how you do it. Here's the characteristics of a happy person. So he's laying it out for us. You really want to be happy, then you exhibit these characteristics in your life. Now, so he comes out and he said, blessed or happy is the poor in spirit. Now, what in the world does that mean? Now, there are two Greek words used for poor in the New Testament. Now, most of y'all know that I don't do a lot of Greek word stuff, right? Unless it's important. Unless it really makes a difference, I don't really go into what the Greek means and all that. But tonight, it really makes a difference. So pay attention. There are two Greek words used for poor in the New Testament. The first Greek word is called pentachron, and it's used for the working poor. So these are people that are poor, but at least they have something. They have some resources. I'll give you an example. In Luke 21, 2... You remember the story, Jesus is standing in the temple and all the rich people are coming in and putting their money in. And who comes in? Little poor widow, right? And she has, y'all remember how much she had? She had two copper coins. And the Bible says in Luke 21, 2, and he saw a poor widow. That's the word that he used. In other words, she's poor. She's really poor, but at least she's got something, right? She's got two copper coins. 
So this would be a description of the working poor. Then there's another word in the Greek, and I'm just going to call it patochos because I don't know how to pronounce it. So it's patochos, and patochos is a Greek word that's used of the destitute poor. These are people with nothing. I'll give you an example in Luke 16, 20, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And that, looks, that verse says this, and a poor man named Lazarus, that word poor is patochos. It means he's got nothing. He ain't got two coins to rub together. He's got absolutely, he is completely destitute. Now here's the question. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, happy or blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, which word does he use? The word patochos, by the way, and this is interesting, means to shrink or to cower from. That's the base word. Now, why would it mean that? Because in that day, beggars, I, I don't know what's happened in our day. People just, they ain't ashamed no more. Right? They're not ashamed to beg. But in that day, people were ashamed. And they literally would, would they, they'd reach their hand out and they wouldn't look at you. They, they would cringe. They would cower. That's where the word comes from. It has to do, in fact, a good translation for patochos is beggarly poor. And which is the word that is used in Matthew 5, 3? Jesus said, blessed are the patochos in spirit. Blessed are the beggarly poor in spirit. This is what Jesus is saying. Happy are those who are spiritual beggars. This is exactly what he's saying. Happy are those who spiritually have no resources. Who are spiritually bankrupt. Who spiritually you can bring, you don't have two coins to rub together. You have absolutely nothing. You bring nothing to the table. Jesus said, if you're that way, then you are blessed. Now, by the way, folks, this is the doctrine of justification by faith. Later on, years down the road, Paul will write in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He explained it in more detail, but this is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you when you are spiritually bankrupt. When you don't come to God with any works, any education, any morality, any family tree, anything at all, you just come bankrupt. That's the doctrine of justification by faith. Now, this is the very first pronouncement that Jesus makes. And it is absolutely, without a doubt, first on purpose. I'm going to give you three reasons why. Number one, poor in spirit comes first because you don't get into the kingdom without this. There is no entry into the kingdom of God without being poor in spirit. How many of you ever heard that question right there? Isn't Christianity a crutch for people who can't make it on their own? Have you ever read that or, or heard somebody say that? Isn't Christianity a crutch? Let me answer that for you. Yes. Definitively, yes. Absolutely, yes. Without a doubt, absolutely, it is a crutch. Now, let me tell you, that may offend some of you. Because when we think of crutches, we, we think of being crippled. And nobody wants to see themselves as cripples. Because we're self-sufficient. We're self-reliant. I, I don't need nobody to help me. 
And there's a poem, a very famous poem. I remember quoting, I've used it in a couple of lessons. It's called Invictus by William Ernest Henley. You may not recognize the name. You may not recognize the name of the poem or the man, but you may recognize this is one of the stanzas. It says this, It matters not how straight the gate or how charged with punishments the scroll. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I mean, that's, that's America. That's what about being Americans all about. I, I, we, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? That's what we do. We hear it every day, don't we? Express yourself. Believe in yourself. Look at your potential. Live your truth. And unfortunately, not only do you hear it from the self-help gurus, you're hearing it from pulpits all across America. And it's all about you, 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 you. Let me tell you, that is called the religion of self-reliance. And that religion has dominated this world ever since Adam and Eve fell in love with their own potential. When Satan told them, oh, you're not going to die. You're going to be like God. You can do this. And they've bought into it, and every one of us. The, the old saying, the apple don't fall far from the tree. We haven't fall, fell far from our mother and father our, 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 uh, of them. Mark 2.17, Jesus said this. Now watch the difference in Jesus' quote versus that. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. John Piper said this, the only people who will ever come to Jesus are, are those who know that they are spiritually and morally crippled. Let me say that again. The only people who will ever come to Jesus are the people that know that they are morally and spiritually cripples. Christ is a stumbling block to the world. He's an offense to the world because he takes the thing we hate the most, which is helplessness, and he makes it the doorway to the kingdom. I mean, think about that. Everybody's on the broad road. There's this door over there, and it's called helplessness. It's called poor in spirit. It's called being spiritually bankrupt, a spiritual beggar. And everybody's on the broad road, and they're all slapping each other on the back and saying, man, you can do this. You've you're, you got all this potential. You're great. And here's the key to the kingdom over here, and it's helplessness. It's being a spiritual beggar, and people walk by it every day. Because they hate that disease. Nobody wants to be a cripple. Nobody wants to be a, a spiritual beggar. Nobody wants to see themselves as helpless. That's why Jesus said, by the way, you have to fight to get in that door. Who are you fighting? You're fighting yourself. You're not fighting other people. You're fighting this, this reliance, this, this inner God that wants to rule your life. You see, but no one can enter the kingdom of heaven until you come to a place where you recognize your inability to please God, your inability to accept God. I, listen, I don't have to give you the scriptures, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Hebrews 12.14, without holiness, no one will see God. John 3.36, those that believe in me have eternal life. Those who don't believe reside under the wrath of God. See, this is where every person who enters the kingdom, you got to come to that door and you got to recognize that because of my sin, I am unacceptable. And I'm not, just, I'm not just under the judgment of God, I'm under the wrath of God. And what that does 
If you realize it, it turns you into a spiritual beggar. It turns you into somebody that comes to God and you got nothing. You got nothing. You got all you need is one thing. Mercy. 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 You see, spiritual beggars have to depend completely upon the grace and mercy of God. Now, some of you might say, well, Derek, isn't it true that everybody is spiritually bankrupt? I mean, in a sense, isn't everybody spiritually bankrupt? Isn't everybody poor in spirit? Absolutely. Yes, in, in a sense, everybody is spiritually bankrupt. But Jesus is not talking about everybody. In Revelation 3.17, Jesus is speaking to the church at Laodicea. And watch what he says. He says, For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, there are people going through life that are spiritually bankrupt, but they don't know it. They think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jew. I get in. I'm, from, I'm the chosen people of God. Well, I was born into this family. Or I, I've got my membership at this church. Or I, I teach on Wednesday nights. Or I pay my tithes. Or I... And Jesus is saying, you think you got it going on, but inside what you don't realize is that you're poor and you're blind and you're pitiable and you're naked. So when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, He's not talking about everybody. He's talking about people that come to that realization. He's talking about those who sense it, that those who... Feel it. Let me say you something tonight, folks. If you're here tonight and you really understand how spiritually bankrupt you are, you are before God, do you know how blessed you are? Do you know how blessed you are to, to, to have come to that realization when millions upon millions upon millions haven't? So you're blessed when you feel your inadequacies. You're blessed when you realize your, your guilt and your failures and your helplessness and your unworthiness and your emptiness. Be happy. Blessed are those who don't try to hide all that under a cloak of, of self-assurance or self-reliance, but who get honest before God and come to Him as a, as a spiritual beggar and just ask for mercy. You see this all through the Old Testament, by the way. Let me just give you a few quotes. Abraham said this, I am, I who, he says, I've taken upon myself to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Jacob said this, I'm not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and faithfulness which you've shown to me. David says this, God is, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Isaiah, when he saw, G, when he saw the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, he said this, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. You come to the New Testament, and, and probably the greatest example of this poor in spirit is a story that Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember the story, right? The Pharisee comes into the temple, and he, he walks up there, and he, and he said, Lord, I'm so grateful that I'm not like that guy. Man, I, I pay my tithes. I'm Jewish. I fast. I keep the law. And on the other side of the building over there was a tax collector. It says he stood far off. He, he didn't even feel like he could come up to other people. And it says he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He's a spiritual beggar. He wouldn't even lift his eyes up. He just beat his chest and said, Lord, mercy. Mercy. And Jesus said, I'll tell you, that man 
went down to his house justified. Not the Pharisee. The man who was a spiritual beggar. You see it in the centurion. You remember the centurion that needed Jesus to come to his house to heal his servant? Jesus is walking to the house and the centurion runs out to meet him. And he says, Lord, don't trouble yourself. Don't go any further because I'm not worthy for you to even come under my, my roof. We see it with the Canaanite woman. By the way, the Canaanite women uh, or the Canaanites were the people that the Jews should have you know, destroyed and got rid of. And here they are in Jesus' day. They're still Canaanite people. And there's a woman and she comes to Jesus and her daughter is demon-possessed, and she needs help. And, and uh, Jesus, when she asks him, he kind of puts her off. And she comes back and says, look, she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, Wow, what faith. See, that's, isn't that faith? When you come, you're just spiritually, you, got, you say, Jesus, I got nothing. I, I can't claim I'm a Jew, I'm not. I can't, I can't, I'm not, and in that day, she was a woman. She wasn't, couldn't even be, a, she wasn't a man. She was on the lowest of the low in that society. And she just said, mercy, mercy. And the Bible says her daughter was healed instantly. Dr. Jones, Walter Lloyd Jones said this, If one feels anything in the presence of God, save an utter, utter poverty of spirit, it ultimately means you've never faced Him. If you can come in, if you say, I've been in the presence of God, and you're not poor in spirit, you, then you haven't been in the presence of God. Because when you see Him, when you know Him, you will immediately see, woe is me. Woe is me. Reason number two, and i got to speed this up, the, the poor in spirit is first. Reason number two, it's uh, first in the list, is because it is the foundation of everything that follows. Now, we'll go through this in the next few weeks. But for example, look at next week's uh, pronouncement. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, that's, I mean, once you realize you're a spiritual beggar, the next step is you, you mourn. You grieve over that. So everything that comes will come out of this first one, which is poor in spirit. Reason number three. And for those of you that are Christians tonight, I think this is important. Reason number three that poor in spirit is first. Not only is it the doorway to the kingdom... But it is the first step on the path to spiritual maturity. Have you ever noticed uh, the Bible's full of enigmas? You know what an enigma is? An enigma is something that, that is, is kind of doesn't seem like it can be true. And you know what I'm saying? I don't know how to explain it. I, just, I shouldn't even have said that because it just come into my mind. Anyway, but the Christian life is kind of a, an enigma, right? Jesus said, you want to find your life? What do you do? You lose it, right? Things like that, right? Well, the Christian life is, is kind of an enigma in that, in that it's, it's almost the opposite of the natural. For those of you that have kids here, you know what I mean. A, a child is born, and when they're first born, you got to do everything for them. I've got a, a, like a five-month-old granddaughter now and a, and a year-old uh, grandson, and you got to do everything for them. you got to change their diapers, you got to bathe them, you got to feed them, you got to do the whole nine yards. And as they begin to grow, they get more independent, right? They start feeding themselves, and eventually they can start dressing themselves, and and if everything goes well, right, they eventually, they completely separate from you. And that's, that's perfectly fine. The Christian life is the exact opposite. When you're born again, you are completely dependent. You come as a spiritual beggar, and you are completely dependent upon God. But as we mature, guess what? 
That doesn't go, you don't become independent. You act, in fact, the opposite happens, happens you become more dependent. You, you actually grow more aware of your spiritual poverty. The more mature you get in Christ. I mean, anybody that's here that's been a Christian for a long time will raise their hand and say, absolutely. I need Him way more today. I realize I need Him today more than I ever thought I did when I first believed. We, we start to see, I mean, just how much we need Him for every aspect of our life and our finances and our family and our parenting and our marriage and our, and our job and everything that we do. And in fact, often, in order to develop this, God will allow trials in your life. Because trials, if you ever start to kind of get independent, guess what? A trial will reel you back in in a hurry. And God will allow these things to happen. He'll, he'll let you see quickly, you're not near as strong as you think you are. You're not near as smart as you think you are. Not near as mature as you think you are. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10... Paul writes this. He said, uh, Paul had a had a, a, an infirmity. It was probably something with his eyes, but uh, he asked God, "Take it away from me." Asked God three times, and God said, "No." And this was his reasoning. God said to him, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses." Paul said, "So the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I am content in being weak." I'm happy with insults. I'm happy with hardships. I'm happy with persecutions. I'm happy with calamities. Why? Because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. When I'm a, when I'm a spiritual beggar, when I realize the poverty that I have of myself, that's when I am my, I'm my strongest. And God will allow that to happen. I want to close with a couple of things. I want to talk very quickly about self-esteem. Some people may say, well... It sounds to me, when you talk about poor in spirit and being spiritually bankrupt, isn't that just the same as having low self-esteem? And the answer to that is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, does everybody know what self-esteem is, right? Self-esteem is basically how you see yourself. You look at yourself, you look at yourself physically, you look at your characteristics, and you either have what's called high self-esteem, where you think a lot about yourself, or you have low self-esteem. Now, a lot of people have high self-esteem. I won't make you raise your hand, but I was born with high self-esteem, or somebody put it in me. I don't know. You can blame my parents for that. But I never had a problem with low self-esteem. My problem was high self-esteem, and of course, that translates into pride. Thank God. Thank God that He humbled me, because that's what He will do. He will humble you, and He'll bring you to a point where you realize, I am spiritually bankrupt. Thank God for that. But what if you're one of the people that has low self-esteem? Low self-esteem is characterized by, you know, you have a lack of confidence, you feel badly about yourself, you, you know, you think I'm unlovable, I'm incompetent, I can't do anything right. You have all that, right? What, 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 how do we deal with that? What's the biblical solution? I know what the biblical solution is for people that have high self-esteem. And that is God will humble you, okay? He'll do it one way or another, but He will humble you. Thank, and, and that's a gift. But how does the Bible deal with low self-esteem, especially when somebody is paralyzed? I'll give you an example. This is Moses. God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go to the Pharaoh, and I'm, I want you to talk to him, and I want you to lead my people out. And this is Moses' words to Jesus. I mean, to God. He says, who am I? 
I, I, can't, I can't do this thing, man. I'm, I can't speak. I, I'm slow of tongue. I, I can't come up with the right words. And, and it, it, you got the wrong person. It's not me. So how does he take somebody that's paralyzed like that with, with, with self-esteem issues and they don't see themselves? How does he do it? Well, here's, the, here's what may surprise you. The solution in the Bible is not to move them to a place of high self-esteem. Remember, that's not a good place either, is it? That's where pride comes in. That's not what the Bible does. God doesn't say to Moses, Moses, stop putting yourself down. You're somebody. I'm trying to mimic some preachers I've seen. You are somebody. You are, you are eloquent. You are wonderful. You are great. Just speak it into existence. Speak the words. All right? I'm sorry about that. That was terrible. Let me say to you, that is not the biblical way. This is God's response. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. The Lord said to him, who do you think made man's mouth? Who do you think makes a man mute or deaf or, 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 or seeing or blind? God said, it's me. It's me. Therefore, go and I will be your mouth and I will teach you what to speak. You see, God's way of, of freeing people from seeing themselves as a worm is not to tell them they're a butterfly. God's way is saying, depend on me. Look to me. I'll take care of this for you. In fact, what God says is, is, is stop looking at your own unworthiness and your own uselessness and look at me. See, this is the problem with low self-esteem and high self-esteem. Both of them are looking at themselves. That's the problem with both of them. Now, we may think high self-esteem is better. And in many ways, it certainly is. But the problem with both of them is they look at self. What God wants all of us to do is look at Him. Look at Him. Last question. Actually, two. Am I poor in spirit? Am I poor in spirit? I'll give you a couple things. Two things about people who are poor in spirit. Number one, they're thankful people. People, they're not whiners and grumblers and complainers. Listen, whiners, grumblers, and complainers are people who think they deserve something they ain't got. But somebody that's poor in spirit realizes, man, everything, anything I got is a blessing from God. And they're thankful for that. The other thing people who are poor in spirit do is they pray. They pray a lot and they pray all the time about everything <laughs> because they realize, man, I, I, I can't do this. I got to depend on him. So if you're, a, if you're a thankful person and you're a prayerful person, those are good uh, indications that you are poor in spirit. If you're like me and I want to grow in spiritual poverty. How many people here want to grow in spiritual poverty? I want to be, be more poor in spirit. How do you do that? It's very simple. You grow in the knowledge of God. You grow in the knowledge of God. Listen, you go through the Bible and every time they see God, they get on their face. Every time. You remember the story about Peter when Jesus comes along and says, uh, they've been fishing all night, they ain't caught nothing. And Jesus said, go out and cast down your net. And Peter's like, man, we've been fishing all night. This ain't going to work. And he said, nevertheless... If you say do it, so he goes out there, they let down the net, and they, they had so many fish, they had to call other boats. And, and, and the Peter just left the fish, and he went over and he fell down at Jesus' knees, and he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. Listen, you don't come into his presence 
without seeing yourself for who you really are. You want to be more poor in spirit? Let me tell you, where you're starting tonight is really good. Studying the Bible, reading the Bible, getting in Bible studies, being with other Christians that can lift one. The more, the more we grow in the knowledge of God, we'll be like John the Baptist. I must decrease while he increases. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord, for your word. What an incredible word it is. And, and God, if there's anyone here tonight that is not poor in spirit, Anyone here at all, Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you take this very simple phrase. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That you'll just take that, that little phrase and you'll do a miracle with it. You'll do an absolute miracle. Father, you'll reveal yourself to them. You'll show them who they really are in your eyes. And God, they'll, for the first time in their life, they'll call out mercy. 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 Father, you know I do this all the time. I, I always tell you I'm not, I, I need you. I can't do this thing. No, as long as I've been saying I can't do this thing, I need you. I need your mercy. We all do here, Lord. And so we just as a body and as a, a group of believers, we thank you for being a merciful God. We thank you that when we were spiritual beggars that you heard our cry. When we called out to you, truly called out to you as a beggar, you were there to extend mercy. You are a good God and a wonderful God. We thank you and we love you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank y'all. Um... Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.